Hello, and welcome to Enough Wicker, a podcast where the zipper sticks a little as we discuss the greatest television show of all time, The Golden Girls. I'm Lauren. And I'm Sarah. And today we're tackling the 84th episode in the series, Brother, Can You Spare That Jacket? This one was, um, you know, it's it's remembered, it's cited in a, a lot of scholarly articles as like a one of the examples of a more sort of heavy-handed, very special episode. Um, but I, you know, I thought, I actually thought it was even, like, it was less heavy-handed and more well done from, like, the messaging standpoint than I remembered. Yeah, I had the same reaction, actually. So um, this is definitely one that I don't watch very often. I I always just um categorize it as like a real downer which it it definitely is yeah, but it's not um, exactly thrill <laughs> yeah um but it's really wow, we're I, in the same boat today if not <laughs> worse cool <laughs> I, that's so, all of my notes are like jesus christ nothing is changed i know um but i i agree i think it's much it's more well done than i remembered and like i kind of think they do a go- good job at the very end like there's not there's no levity it doesn't you know the the last scene is just they give a lottery ticket to the the priest or whatever but like it doesn't end on a happy note which i actually think is a really strong move and it's just a really well done um i don't know the messaging feels more important than i i recall sticks with you yeah yeah i i am kind of like struggling to find the words but it it just like I always just thought of it as like a a downer when I didn't like and and watching it for this purpose I was like wow like this is a really it was really important to have this on tv I guess it's kind of like where I'm circling the airport but (laughs) why don't we bring Bring this baby in (laughs) but I think the I think you're right in that it's a it's a bold move for a sitcom to not even have Sophia make some sort of snarky comment, you know? It's just sort of like, thanks for everything, Padre, you know? And mm-hmm. I I think the strength is in in the writing and the vignettes with all of the girls, like, talking to their respective individuals and how it kind of goes back and forth. Like, I, I didn't remember how strong the writing is with a lot of, like, their dialogue specifically in terms of, like, covering a man with a full-time job at a very prestigious, clearly rich hotel being homeless at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like a woman who they, the girls personally know like from, you know, Sophia's nursing home and how she's outlived her family. And then this assumption that Blanche makes based on the charm and wit and intelligence of a man with a PhD who right. is in the homeless shelter. I mean, those are actually like, you have, like, if you actually, if I actually put some thought before I even rewatch this, of like, you'd have to have those strong messages because that's the point. That's the whole reason why Jean is just your run-of-the-mill average person who happens to be a lesbian. That's the reason why Clayton is monogamous. You have to, like, have these, like, prime examples of people that you would not expect to be in these roles if you are trying to fight against a stereotype or a disparagement you have to go in that direction. That's what a sitcom does. And like, that was the point of this particular series in a lot of ways, like to make those messages. But like, I was still blown away by how good the writing was. 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think there's, um, there's this uh, concept in um, like social policy and sociology called um, a deserving poor and a non-deserving poor. Yes. And I think that to get, particularly at this time, um, and with <laughs> We're this still medium, dealing like, with it tonight, right, Jesus Christ. For sure. But like, you know, to get, to be able to have this, this message come across in like a sitcom form, like it has to, you have to be able to feel bad for them. And, you know, yes. unfortunately, Americans, like, we think that somebody who struggles with, although I think it's really good that they have somebody who struggles with addiction, he has to be young and attractive and charming. But like, to even, um, you know, have that featured is something that can kind of unravel your life in such a way that you become homeless um or live below the poverty line or whatever like I think that that's uh it's a powerful choice and I'm glad that they made that choice but they still have to be like you know they have to be likable and there's even you know the part where um Blanche is the guy that Blanche connects with um I think his name is Kenny he you know alludes to the fact that he was going to steal her money and like Mm -hmm. I, I just you know I think it's so it's they don't beat around the bush really you know and they don't even like super like sanitize this uh the idea of like this is what it's like and this is how people live and i think that that's really like you know i uh i just think it's really powerful for for a sitcom at this time for any time really like like you said we're still not we're still dealing with this i have some some very grim statistics um from the class (laughs) i took about aging in america um well bring them out let's just do it put it on the table let's, let's start with this let's start with this (laughs) <laughs> the numbers um okay so this is from uh i want to just cite it correctly so it's from a, a youtube video um it's called aging disability in america the role of the federal government in long-term services and support mm-hmm. um and this is a lecture from the johns hopkins school of public health and so basically this is all numbers today so you obviously have to scale it back for the 80s but still so the annual, the cost of annual care for a n- nursing home, um, the average right now is $91.2,000 for a private room and 80000 for a semi-private room. Um, assisted living typically costs $43,000 a year. The average annual cost for a full-time home health aid is $45,000 a year. And when you consider all of those numbers, the median annual income for older adults is $25,000 a year, and most have average assets of $65,000. Wow. So, and private insurance only covers usually 2 to 3% of long-term support. So two basically- 2 to 3%. Yeah, 2 to 3%, That's right? the and shit so, that you pay into every year of your fucking life. Yeah. In the hopes and, that, as, you know- what's her name says Ida says that you will be taken care of that you'll get it for free and so if you don't have private retirement savings or private savings like you're pretty much on your own and um 70 of adults over 65 will need some type of long-term care and uh 98 million people are supposed to be over the age of 65 in this country by the year 2060. So basically this is all to say that we still don't have a good policy for the elderly. We still don't provide any type of like economic or healthcare relief to these people or nearly what we should. And it's, um, you know, like obviously circumstances have changed and like the money has changed. And I, I put the $10,000 they went into an inflation calculator um, and it'd be yeah. about $23,000 now 23,000 so like you know things have changed but it's incredibly disappointing how 
many of these circumstances that these people have could be and are true for so many people now. You know, if right. you get to a certain age in this country and you don't have family or you don't have private savings, you're out of options. And so like this could happen, you know, and it's really like it's I think that's maybe also why this episode is still so powerful and kind of hit me so hard this time when I was watching it, because like you would think we would have shored some of this up. <laughs> seriously and even if you do have private savings like just healthcare is not paid for in america you could be drained based on medical issues even mm-hmm. before you get to the point where you are this elderly needing this support and it's it's just fucking maddening and it's it's something that is yeah it's it's just so fucking bleak it really is and i don't um i i the part that I really like not not disliked but like kind of kind of almost cringed at is a line at the end where Sophia is like good people won't let this suffering go on and I'm I'm sitting here from like you know like the Mm -hmm. vantage point of 30 years later 30 plus years later being like well (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know uh, you I mean there's there's so much there's full episodes to fill about just like you know what what is good what is moral what p- can people affect from a democratic standpoint what you know do we even live in a democracy what are the people in power doing etc 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 but like this American idea from either you know people in political power or otherwise of like you said the deserving or undeserving poor is such it's so part of the fabric of like how we're raised in America that you have to unpack it like racism and like all of these other things. You're just steeped in the stew of it because there's such this like individualism piece. Yeah. But like there are so many comments of like people who, you know, go on food stamps or have to go on food stamps, but you know, are like, oh, I'm not like them. You know, like those other people. And you're like, well, what makes you different? I don't understand. Like, what, what's the difference here? Why is it okay for this person to do it not okay for this person? You're making this judgment and you're just repeating this shit that you, again, have just been steeped in since birth. And it's, it's just really horrifying that, like, we don't even begin to unpack it. And, I, again, I applaud shows like this for even trying to move the needle in 27 minutes or whatever, you know, to try to get people to see that it's not, these aren't just people that are just, I'm deciding to be bad and I'm just deciding to not work at anything and give me all the things for free. I mean, this is just like this horrifying Fox News, Tucker Carlson, boogeyman nonsense. And it's just like, it just makes me sick. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And the other thing is, like, people think of living at or below the poverty line, I think, as, like, a permanent condition. And in most cases, it's not. In most cases, it's something some people experience at some point in their lives and then come out and then come back. You know, like, it's a, right. it's a revolving spectrum, which makes sense when you think about the way that, like, pay works and all of that. Um, well, what is that stat? Like, it's, like, millions of Americans. Like, it's it's something above, I think, 50%. That was like the latest survey. 59% of Americans are one paycheck away yeah. from being homeless. To your point, it's like this is this is a continuous struggle. This isn't this isn't just, you know, Sal Patrillo gambling away your life savings in one exactly. swoop, you know? Like this is an ongoing struggle. And again, as we see with, you know, Rose's buddy, it's like 
he's literally describing a full-time job that's what's happening mm-hmm. today of people are like well well you know you got to save it you got to do this do it all on your own you're like you work over 40 hours a week and you can't afford to survive or have a place to live or like decide between having a place to live and eat I mean, that, that is a failure of society and government and regulation. That is not anything to do with any moral choice or personal no, choice. Totally. And it's just disgusting that we can't get to this point that, like, yeah. that, that we can't all agree that that's fucked. I know. I know. And to tie it back to, to this, it's like we've heard Dorothy and Rose particularly talk about like how they're one paycheck away from, yes. you know, they can't miss, miss, miss a couple of paychecks. And even the fact that they win this $10,000, which is $10,000 is $23,000 now, as I said before, but like, you know, that is a lot of money for these people divided by four. And so like, almost not... 2000 a piece, but what, what is that? <laughs> almost 3000 with almost, uh, inflation. Almost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, you know, that's the point is like this a couple thousand dollars is going to, change your life at least in the immediate time frame yes. for like Dorothy and Rose and Sophia for sure and you know not so much Lance but it's like so you're not that far away from this happening especially when like as you said you can work a full-time job and still not make enough money to live yes. and you know if you have a kid or like you're trying to provide for somebody else or something like that it's like yeah it's completely a failure of policy to not see that and be like, okay, this isn't, this isn't right. You shouldn't have to work two full-time jobs to barely be making it. And so I think that, um, I think it's, it's, it's a well-used device to have the lottery ticket, you know, be the sort of like intro to this episode right. um, because it's, it's not a huge amount of money even for, for them, but it's, it, I think it just speaks to like how much a little bit of money would do for so many people. Correct. Correct. And that doesn't even get into, which I don't think we're going to get into in this episode, but we'd be remiss not to talk about it, about how playing the lottery is often Mm. an activity of people teetering on the edge of poverty because of this American dream of, I just need to get my chance. It's coming. It's going to happen, you know, and just how it preys on people with lower incomes. And it's just like, it's just like such a, there's, there's so much there to unpack of like the lottery ticket device um it's really everything about it is really fascinating so yeah oh my god and like it does make sense that they would play the lottery ticket the you know the lotto in general and i i wrote in my notes like i do love a scratch off like i feel like actually like you know around the holidays like that's an easy thing and i do get like a thrill from winning like you know 10 20 bucks or whatever um no and i i'm not i'm not like passing moral judgment on the lottery and i don't begrudge people for playing it i just think the the mere existence of it is such an american type of thing of like this is going to be your literal ticket out as opposed to just having a fucking functioning society where we could all just maybe live and eat and be warm, you know, together. (laughs) Right. No, it's totally like, I was thinking of like people who buy like, you know, a ton of lottery tickets with their office staff or whatever. And they're like, well, we better draw up a contract because we don't want any legal, but it's like, you're not going to win my dude. I know. Oh my God. Okay. Print out your internet contract. That's fine. I remember there was a, there's an old episode of Scrubs that I always quote when I think of the lottery where it's like they're doing like an office pool, you know, in the hospital and somebody's like, oh, hey, Dr. Cox, do you want to, you know, come in, <laughs> pay into this lottery raffle with us or something? He's like, oh, no, thank you. I just set fire to a large pile of money just this morning. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
highly related. It's so perfect. So. Oh. All right. Anyway, backing up, let's let's talk about the the funny lead ups um, and the mm. the wacky mishaps that happen to get us into the situation where we're actually debating the morality of America. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> At the end of this, it does start with a very funny device where Sophia is reading a letter. She opened a letter that's addressed to Rose. She loves to do that, which I think is so funny. <laughs> it's so great. How the hell should I know this letter's for Rose? <laughs> like, tell tell me you think Joanne is a lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> It's really great. It's really great. Um, but yeah, three, and speaking of scratch off, like three palm trees, it's such a great, you know, like all the wacky little, like, do you have those? You don't have those. Is that a palm tree? Like everything that you play when you think you've won. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you're like, are you sure? Double check. Double check it. Yeah. Totally. I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I even do that when it's like $5. I'm like, oh, that, no, no, that can't be right. Absolutely. <laughs> you're like, there's no way I won. That's ridiculous. That's <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah, and I, I, you know what, I love. I mean, it's so. Uh, it's also so of the time. I feel like, but I love Blanche's jacket. I love the jacket that she buys, yeah. and I love that Rose thinks it's like an old, you know, it's an yeah. old beat up jacket. And so obviously Sophia does too, which is also very in line. Yeah. Um. Exactly. But I wanted to say so after they win and they decide they're going out to dinner and they're like, "Oh, we'll get champagne and caviar." Yeah. Like, where are you guys going? Where are you going for dinner? Like <laughs> what? kind of like top tier restaurant are you just walking into first of all that doesn't require reservations that has like you know champagne and caviar yeah like a variety of caviars on the menu (laughs) totally and also like look like i'm not passing judgment i'm a very casual dress kind of person but they don't get dressed or anything they're just walking out the door I'm not saying you need to like you know if you're going to Emilio's or Joe's or whatever that's fine but yeah. it's like it seems like they're going somewhere that's like yeah a little fancy. <laughs> correct, correct, exactly. It's not uh, it's not every day like in hipster Brooklyn where you can just pick up some champagne and caviar at the uh, the bar the dive bar down the street. Exactly. But yeah. Um. So when when we meet, uh, you know they 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 go uh, hunting. They have that hilarious like lip biting thing with uh um sophia's like being like oh whoops like yeah spill it ma it's such a good gag the spill it gag is so good uh, oh it's, my god it's so great it's so great um i love that whole part actually even before then when when she's like somebody called the guy's like somebody called about donating old stuff there's an audience member that goes like oh i know oh my god when 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 like she gives when she goes to give them a thing the audience is like oh, they're know, freaking it's, out it's yeah. so great it's so great um but anyway, so going, so skipping ahead, then we then we go, we go and we see, you know, MJ's uh, mm-hmm. bodyguard. First of all, why is he at a church thrift shop? I am so confused at that entire scene of like why he's there. And um, like he was yeah. sent to just get something for Michael Jackson. Like, was what was the instruction? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just like pick me out something cool. I, I have no idea, but. I will say for a fun fact, the bodyguard's the same guy who sings Puff the Magic Dragon in the You Gotta Have Hope episode. Wow. You know what? Also, the two guys um, that we talked about who are in the homeless shelter, they're both in other episodes, too. Um, oh, yeah. Rose the diner owner. The diner owner. And the other guy is uh, boy one in On Golden Girls. <laughs> Kenny is like an extra. <laughs> Wait, he is? He's yeah. one of the boys? Yeah. I, did, I don't Is he I, rat tail? I don't know if he's rat tail. Oh. I think maybe, but he's, he's boy one. Boy one. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my God. Now I got to go back, go back to yeah. season one and watch that again. That's great. Holy yeah. shit. So good. 
I thought you were going to say the mullet guys that like move their heads when he throws the jacket to MJ and the outside. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it feels like that great. too. They just two like slightly, contract. I know, yeah, they just like slightly move their heads when he throws the jacket between them. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say, you know, Michael J. Fox ages much better than Michael Jackson. So it's a, it's a pretty good gag that actually made me smile a little bit. If we're oh my God, about it's Michael, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> I know. It's so cute. So I really I appreciated that from Rose because it's a yeah. whole like oh my god Michael Jackson it's like what we were talking about last episode where Blanche is talking about Mel Gibson and, and Donald Trump you know it's like yeah. Jesus Christ <laughs> I know I know oh my god so so they're around the the kitchen table right so they're they're talking about like they've resigned themselves to like losing the money losing the jacket. Um, I love that Blanche is the one who actually sort of interrupts their moaning about the money. And she asks Sophia if she's all right. Cause it's mm-hmm. like such a self-centered losing money time. And that's like a huge Blanche, you know, issue. Yeah. <laughs> so is. I actually think it's kind of nice that they have her like kind of checking on Sophia at this time. I thought it was so cool. Yeah. And also like, I think it's very um, true to Sophia's character to be really quiet when she's sad and also feels a little guilty and yeah. you know like all of this and like it's also so like even prior to that Rose it, it's so Rose to think that she can call like the lotto department and be like oh we had it but we lost it you know it's totally like, it's like the Chinese restaurant honestly for you girls not a bad consolation prize I mean for real right <laughs> you know you already had your champagne and caviar like give me a break you know yeah <laughs> good um, lord yeah, I do. I think that's nice. And I also think it does make sense. Like, again, like, you know, Blanche, she does always have these, like, um, you know, she's she's always after money, which they all are. But Blanche really doesn't need it. Um, right. And so it's, like, it it's nice. And I think also, like, it's nice of her to maybe have this moment of, um, I don't know, like, self-reflection where she can see that almost two thousand dollars a piece wouldn't impact her nearly as much as it would the other three and so right. like maybe that's what she's doing or maybe she's really just like taken over by concern and either way i think that it's it's nice yeah i think it's it's just like a nice little bit of character development you know mm-hmm. um <laughs> so all right so let's go to the auction um i love that like you know way back when we were talking about transplant we were like man it just like Watching TV just made you think that, like, you were going to have so many more organ transplants touching your life, <laughs> like, like lives. But, like, I feel the same way about auctions, and specifically yeah. in this show. But honestly, like, I'm sure auctions happen a hell of a lot more in the pre-internet days. Like, that was how you did shit. Like, That's it's just, true. It's just really funny, though, to me. It was like, oh, my God, we're at another auction. Also, one where they, like, just run in. They're <laughs> 20 minutes late. You know, it's, it's just, it's amazing. It's a great scene. Yeah, it, it definitely. That's a very like, you know, used sitcom device, and it also is like, at least like I feel like from my experience, you, I guess you can just kind of like walk into an auction like this if it was a celebrity auction, but like you can't just stroll into Christie's. Like you know, seriously, you like seriously, one where there's like some council member, which right. also, by the way, the council member is such a great choice for this sort of like political pressure social commentary episode where you actually have him as like a figure who could make change and he is only interested in the public image piece of it and that's yeah. it and it's so interesting and they call him out on it like amongst themselves they were like he doesn't even care about it yeah it's so real though it's so yes. like 
oh I'm here to you know give this to one of our city's many shelters and like it's also the opportunity to be like named in the same paragraph as Michael Jackson and like it's so true to life it's so upsetting it's so upsetting also like I remember this is just an anecdote about again (laughs) the failure of America and just like so many comments from people being like i can't believe they're even homeless in america Mm -hmm. you know like from people abroad and i remember reading a story about somebody working as a 911 operator or something and this man who was not from america he was like a recent immigrant called 911 to basically be like there's an emergency like this man is homeless and like they were trying to figure out they were like, oh, does he have a gun? Like, is he harming himself? Like, they were trying to figure out, like, what the emergency was. And they eventually got to the point where he was just like, he's living on the street. That's the emergency. Right. And it was just this, like, oh, shit. Like, class of cultures of being, like, I just remember, I, I still think about that story. Because you're just like, yes, that's an emergency. Yeah. And we don't even bat an eye about it. Like, that is so fucked when you really think about it yeah and then just thinking about like the city council guy and you're just like everything is everything's terrible (laughs) i don't know what to do the only thing we do is like we we arrest them we're like no you can't be homeless here can't be on the subway can't be homeless there yeah jesus christ so anyway yeah that just really it's they're really pretty pretty bad (laughs) yeah for real um i do want to call out rose going wanting to go on the concord oh yes we have you've been on the concord right i've been on the concord yeah and did you know that that concord that is at this unnamed museum (laughs) that we we, both used to work yeah we won't be getting cease and desist letters um they (laughs) that is the concord that broke the speed record the sound barrier record from uh, london to new york yeah so good for us (laughs) absolutely good for us i remember them telling me that people used to steal all the salt and pepper shakers all the time (laughs) Mm-hmm. souvenirs rose will never get to <laughs> yeah exactly rose will never get to also i i do love that they bring in you know like rose has she's largely been sort of an almost accessory in this one right like where it's like i guess rose and dorothy kind of because it's really the you know blanche's jacket and then sophia you know obviously misplacing it and stuff but we get a taste of like competitive rose <laughs> when she starts going really intense on Blanche she's like she's like perhaps I can use some of my persuasion of it and she's like persuasion hell this isn't for dinner at the rainbow room this is for 10 big ones give him whatever he wants like just later she's just being like you gotta sleep with him and oh it's so awesome and we haven't we haven't seen that rose in a long time yeah 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 well and like you know they're they're going through all of this effort and I I get it. Like, it's a lot of money and it's lottery tickets. But, like, you know, at some point, like, I don't know, man. I guess, like, I was trying to think of, like, at what point I would have been, like, this is, I can't do this. Like, what at what point, like, I would have bowed out and just accepted that it was over. Um, I mean, I don't think I personally would have slept in a homeless shelter. I think that might have been the, the line for me. I would have just been, like, all right, you know, it's gone. Um, but I don't know. You know, you have to admire the the willingness yeah i mean i i think i would do the same steps as they would honestly however i would be much more creative and to the point of being like 
I'm sorry, I misplaced something really important and personal in this jacket. I just need to look in the pocket and it's yours. Like, I think I would be like, kind of Dorothy recommends that when they're like, maybe we can just get the jacket for a minute at the uh, at the auction. And I'm like, thank you. That's yeah, all you I know. have to Seems do. Obvious. You can even tell the fucking priest that I'm sorry, but we're, we've been tracking this down. So this reminds me very tangentially of another fun story that I heard. So one once upon a pre-COVID time, uh, I went to the very exciting date uh, with my now husband to the recycling center in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. Yes, yeah, cool. Which is, yeah, it's basically like a Mr. Rogers neighborhood tour of like, where does the recycling go? And it was actually fucking fascinating. So if anybody has a chance to go, it's it's pretty amazing. And like, you know, classically, they have like all German mis- machines that are so precise to like sort these different types of plastics and everything like that. They have one machine that's made in America. It's called the Liberator and it's just the machine Naturally. that opens <laughs> the trash bags that rips apart trash bags. <laughs> it's the only destructive one. It's the American piece of machinery. Very funny. Anyway, right. <laughs> when I was there, I asked, you know, a store like I was like, do you guys have any weird stories about, you know, people, what they throw away and other things? And, and the guy was like very giddy. And he's like, oh, we had this weird thing happen where like somebody called DSNY and like all the way went through this like phone chain of dispatch being like, I threw out something that like is really personal, important, like I need to find it. And they traced it all the way to like you know where it was taken from whatever receptacle all the way to the truck to the like dump out you know this is where the truck is when the truck is going to end up at like the recycling center and the guy who had called like came and they came and they stopped everything and they dumped out the whole recycling truck and then he was like telling people it was like it's this like black box or you know green box or whatever it was and everybody like pitched in it felt like such a like community thing to like help this guy find his missing box or whatever and like they're all excited right they're like i'm helping this citizen like it's clearly important he came all the way here and like the guy <laughs> finds the box in the pile and just grabs it goes thank you and runs out <laughs> that's public service for you. I just love that story because yeah like one end it's just like thanks for fucking nothing we don't even get to know what it was but also like was it a dead body like what was it it? it's just great but the point is I would try a few you know a few different types of wiles uh, other than just like you know persuading a city council (laughs) member uh, to try to get this jacket right right sure okay yeah yeah I love that. <laughs> I love you went to the recycling center. I really want to go. Yeah, it's um, a great one. So, okay. So they go to the center or whatever, right? And I also want to talk about Ida, Ida Perkins, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think her name is Herta Ware. And she's in She's in a lot. She's in Practical Magic. She's in Cruel Intentions. Hey. You know, usually it's these, like, kind of small roles. Um, but yeah. I think she's so good. And particularly mm-hmm. the part where she's, like, decide. I don't decide anything. And when yeah. she says some things just happen it's a real like you know we talked about the stats and stuff before but it's a real kind of like it punches you in the face it's like totally yeah like she She was i wait for things to happen now oh my god it's so depressing i've never like that i love that you called that line out because that really struck me as like I will hopefully never know what it's like to be homeless or even on the brink. And, but that seems to me 
what your day-to-day is like right it's not you're not in charge of your own destiny anymore and it's like at some point when you lose control there's nothing else you can do and like you also like you know reflecting and looking back and you might be like oh how did I get here but that's like a big picture type of thing when you're living in it you're probably just like this just happened and I, I you know I just think it it really just humanizes it and it makes it so universal and it's so you know, because I think anybody has something in their lives, not this big, but something that kind of spiraled out of control. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, how did I get here? And it's that's what it is. It's like this could happen to anybody in, in America, as we see in this episode, as we see all the time in the news. And it's just like I do think it's such one of the episodes with the most important messaging. And I never think of it as one of, you know, like I think it like it, it is, as you said, like it's cited a lot, but it's not like. A 72 hours or um, right, you know right. like it doesn't come up or like even like I feel like a mixed blessing comes up more when you're talking about sort of like sociopolitical stuff but this is a really yeah. it's a really big one it's huge and it's like again as we mentioned I think just the writing is really good with that that whole you know like I outlived my no whole family never thought it would be a punishment I just nobody cost me told me it cost money to get old and then like you know, the Blanche, like a bright boy like him, you know, ending up here and the moral compass issue. Like there's just all of these really good lines that you're also like, even if you don't personally, even if you personally have moved beyond like thinking that people are quote unquote undeserving of help or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, like it still makes you think about it in a different kind of nuanced angle. I think that that I think that that's what's impressive to me about this episode is someone who like I feel like I'm fairly well informed in these types of issues particularly from like a moral justice point of view or the the, the fact that like it could happen to anybody mm-hmm. um but like I still got a lot out of it you me know too. you know I thought that me was too. kind of really fascinating and and the the nonverbal agreement that they all have about donating that yeah. it, like you know they leave with this really heavy and that's what I was talking about like they leave with a heavy feeling. And I think the audience also leaves with a heavy feeling. And I think that that's a really, um, it's a good use of it. Cause this, you know, this show and sitcoms in general don't do that very often. Like they don't usually leave you feeling sad or thoughtful or anything. It's usually all tied up. And I think that that's really well used here. I think that that, that feeling of heaviness that you're talking about too, is like, it's like, they, they like, um, intervention themselves accidentally right totally (laughs) like so it's like they that unspoken agreement is like i kind of got vibes of like um you know two episodes back where where they're interventioning sophia over like not doing insurance fraud like clearly not the (laughs) same thing but like having this sort of like let me put this in perspective for you about like what other people go through right like that's the same vibe here and then and I and but this one to your point like the difference is that they all just feel it so heavily they don't even have to say anything (laughs) to each other which is so wild yeah and the the fact that they all feel it is yes you know super impactful um I I actually also like not to take away from all of the good parts of this episode that we just talked about but oh yeah one of the reasons that I think I also always didn't like this one or I always didn't hold it up as like, you know, as, as good as it it is, is because of the song at the end, you know, like that is just like all I remembered from it. And I also was watching it this time with the captions on and it's like, 
yeah, it's like a railroad song. It just, I think it takes, I, I don't know how I would feel if I was watching it at the time, but this time I do feel like it takes something away from it yeah. a little bit. It's incredibly dated from like a just aesthetic and like the feeling point of view, even the style of the song. But to your point, I also love that you're like, this time I watched it with subtitles. I live my life in subtitles. I fucking yeah, love yeah, subtitles I do too. so much. <laughs> but uh, so to your point about the post railroad building, so it's actually like a song from the Great Depression, right? <laughs> so great sense. Yeah, it was part of like this musical like Americana. It was like a it, the melody apparently was based on a Russian Jewish lullaby. Really, really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, they have that that like I built the railroad and I got shit for it, you know? And it's like it's so fascinating because it's like there's there's a quote about the song like the man in the song is like someone who kept faith in america and now america has betrayed him which is like haha rose nyland um but it's like this again okay we just talked about the contrast between 2021 what's happening now and what happened back here in the 80s and now the 80s is singing a song about the 30s Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like america's still a sham and it is oh it's just unbelievable, like, turn it over in your brain. But anyway, so I know why they used it. I know why they used that thrust of, like, this particular song. I get it. They needed, like, an overview, like, you know, or a, a song in the background when they're moving around. But, like, I honestly think, yes, the lyrics kind of hurt, but I think the recording is just really dated and feels really 80s. And it's, like, feels to me like this white female lounge singer that's just like not a great fit (laughs) or it's like trying to be extra depressing and not just letting the music speak for itself yeah yeah because actually so now I'm reading about the song and it's like it's really interesting actually it's composed in a minor key which is also like a yeah you know a note to like how depressing it is and and yeah it seems like a really like well-written interesting song and there's all these different interpretations but I just think it's like like it just I don't know maybe it just puts it over the top and like we don't need that or like yeah like the singer the the loungy vibe of it or something like it it just always kind of took me out of the episode and the scene and I just feel like you don't really need it like maybe that song could have yeah. played over the credits or something you know like I, just, I think the placement of it kind of um always kind of put me off Right. No, I, I, I think I agree. And I, I thought the same thing this time. I, I literally had the same thought as you of like, oh, that's why I kind of never really wanted to rewatch this episode a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's really kind of fascinating. But honestly, for that flaw, like I, I was pretty impressed with like how well this stood up, mostly for depressing reasons, but also because like they're, they really like didn't, they didn't, they didn't hit you over the head with anything. They just kind of spelled it out and had really good characters tell the, the story for you. <laughs> you know, it yeah. didn't have to be, there's not like a big speech. It's just conversations, you know? Yeah. It that's It's like the first person narrative of like, this is my experience and here we go. And you need to draw your own broader conclusions about the state of our country from that, you know? Yeah, so. for sure. It's I, I agree totally. And I, I do recommend everybody read this wiki of the Brother Kenny's Paradigm because it's a very interesting song. Yeah. <laughs> and it really just like, you know, it's the same message. Exactly. It's the same damn thing. So, uh, yeah. So everybody, please, you know, look up your uh, local 
uh, organization that helps support uh, the homeless in your area because I know that they're it's a really fucked systemic issue. Um, but particularly as we're getting into much colder months in a lot of places, I think that there is always support to be had for at least the interim of the serving the soup, uh, not necessarily the longer term things, although you should also vote and write all of the people in power to harass them about making it so that people don't need soup anymore. Heck yeah. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, woo! moving on, Ooh. moving on. So Jesus. next time, <laughs> next time we're going to discuss getting your dander up even more than we did in this episode. And <laughs> strangely, extreme studio audience coughing fits. Intriguing. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Take care, everybody.